Welcome back to The Compass, the podcast ministry of Calvary Baptist Church of Fayetteville, Arkansas. We're thrilled that you've chosen to download and listen as we continue our journey through God's Word. Now, in today's podcast, I have the privilege of sharing from Philippians chapter 3, verses 1 through 11. We'll be talking about what it takes to know Jesus. But before we listen, I want to invite you to come and to worship with us. We meet at 1410 North Porter Road in Vanville, Arkansas, and our worship service begins at 1030 on Sunday mornings. Now, in the coming weeks, on October 1st, 2023, we're going to have our Fall Fun Fest, and we'd love for you and your family to join us. It'll be between 4 and 7 o'clock. There'll be food, fun, all sorts of good things, and so we want to invite you to come and to be with us for that Now again, we are continuing our study through the book of Philippians, and we're looking at Philippians chapter 3, verses 1 through 11. Let's listen together. As always, it's an honor to stand before you to share the word. I'm grateful for how my faith family here at Calvary holds God's word in such high esteem. And I love any time that Pastor Kirk gives me the opportunity to speak and to share. He's out today. So if you're visiting with us for the very first time, let me take this moment to invite you to come back. Our uh, teaching pastor will be uh, leading next week, and so you'll want to to hear the word from them as well. Now, our current study in Philippians is a special one to me. In college, it's one of the first books that I really dove into and And starting uh, working through as I developed my faith in a a deeper way. I've mentioned this before, but a professor challenged me to read through the entire book each day for a month. I thought, I can do that. Philippians, it's only four chapters. This is easy. And it was. It was easy tasks to accomplish. As I'd either wake up or before I went to bed, I'd make sure that I had read Philippians for 30 days in a row. And it's a great way to really tackle getting into the Word if you haven't been in that that pattern, because what will happen is God will start showing you things that you may have heard, you may have not realized that are there. Just that repeated nature of reading is really helpful. It was amazing how God kept showing me things that I just glossed over before. So when Pastor Kirk asked me to continue our series rather than just preaching as I often do, just a one or a, a series that's stretched out over time when I have opportunity to speak, I was especially excited. So over the last several weeks, Pastor Kirk has been stepping us through Paul's letter to the Philippians. Paul has exhorted the church of Philippi to rejoice in all that God has done through his son, Jesus Christ. So that has shaped not just the messages of what we have what we have learned through God's Word, but it has also shaped what we have sung during this period. I love a lot of the songs that the Gettys share about rejoicing the Lord. Um, it just, it's exciting, it's fun, and we're going to get to hear some of that stuff in person this week, and, and so it's, it's one of the exciting things about going to the Sing Conference. Now, over the last two sessions, Pastor Kirk talked about servants worthy of emulating, What we needed to do and look at as we looked at the last part of uh, Philippians chapter 2. Now, what we want to do today is look at what it takes 
to know Jesus in a deeper way. What does it take to know Jesus? Philippians 3, verses 1 through 11. Let me go ahead and read our text, and then we'll get right into it. Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same thing to you is no trouble to me and is safe for you. Look out for the dogs. Look out for the evildoers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. For we are the circumcision who, who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. Though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also, if anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteous un righteousness under the law, blameless. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish, in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible I may obtain the resurrection from the dead. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray together. Father God, we thank you for this time when we have to look at your word. And we just ask in these moments, help us to understand it a little bit better to follow you in a deeper way and just to, to trust what you have for us. Life is difficult. Our culture is, is hard to navigate at times, but we know that your word is unchanging and it brings hope for us all because it shows us your son Jesus. We just ask that you forgive us where we fail you and be with us in these moments. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, knowing someone is not always an easy thing. At the start of the school year, at the beginning of a new job, you have new people that you have to interact with. And that can be challenging for those of us who are introverts. You know, I remember the first days of working um, at Bedford Camera Video. I did that from 2001 to 2007. All these new faces. All right, I don't know any of you guys. And what's this going to be like? I remember going to college the first few days and, and meeting tons of new people and how that was. And for me as an introvert, uh, that was, I, I did not enjoy that all that much. Uh, but I know that some of you love those environments. You love meeting new people. You, get, you like getting to know them. And if you give me time, I love getting to know a person. People, uh, but a person, I love spending time there. Getting past the pleasantries and diving into what that person really is, is hard. However, it's something that all of us have done at one point or another. What, whoever your best friend is, at some point, they weren't even somebody you knew. My wife, who we've been married for a long time now. <laughs> 30 years. <laughs> Had to do the math if she's watching. Uh, so 30 years that we've been married. But there was a day in my life that I didn't even know Temple. 
But there was a day when I came to met, meet her, and then we got to know each other in a deeper way. And I apparently shared something with my wife this week. She said, I didn't know that. 30 years of marriage, and guess what? We're still learning about one another. Now, in our passage, Paul highlights the words knowing and know. And by using them more than once, you see that that's going to be something of importance. And if you're trying to figure out a theme of a passage that's always a good place to start, look for the repeating words. I mean, if you look at 1 John, you'll see love repeated a whole bunch of times. And, and as you're trying to figure out, where do I start? What does this look like? And so we know that as he goes on through this, he talks about knowing Christ in verse 8. And he wants us to know him. Here Paul wants us to know Jesus fully. He wants God's people to experience the fullness of grace that was expressed through his son, Jesus. And knowing Jesus starts with a personal relationship. He is our Savior and he is our hope. And if you don't know him in that way, then that's where we have to start. It begins with a relationship with Jesus Christ. It begins by realizing that we're sinners in need of a Savior. We can look easily at the Romans road. We understand that in Romans 3.10 and 3.23, we understand this idea that all fall short of the glory of God and there's none righteous, no, not one. We step on through, we understand in, in Romans 6.23, for the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is salvation through Jesus Christ. And we go on and we look in Romans 10, 9, 10, and 13, that for whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. That's where we start our relationship with Jesus. That's how we begin that time with him. So if you haven't ever done that, if you haven't had that moment in time where you have asked Jesus to be your Savior, to be your Lord, that you've heard his call on your life and you've said yes to him, you've surrendered your life to him, then today needs to be that day. That's where it starts. What does it take to know Jesus? Well, it starts with a surrender. That means setting aside pride. That means setting aside all these other things, things that you may think you have to do or that you, you need to do in this life. You surrender and say, okay, God, whatever you want, I'm going to follow you. And that's where we start in knowing Jesus. Paul gives us a plan for knowing him in a deeper way here in this passage of Scripture. So let's look back at our text, <coughs> and we'll step through it together. If we look at uh, Philippians 3, 1, it says, Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. I love how Paul starts this third chapter. He sounds like a preacher, doesn't he? Finally. Yet this marks only halfway through this letter. It reminds me of an old preacher joke. What does it mean when a preacher says, in conclusion? Absolutely nothing. You probably have, know you've heard that before. But here, he, it really could be translated furthermore or um, continuing on. Um, but there's still two more chapters of things. But it, it tells us something. It's a breaking point in the passage that points us the, to something that we need to see. And here, we see a plan of attack for us to know Jesus in a deeper way. Start with number one. In verse one. It simply says, rejoice in the Lord. Now, when we think of rejoice in the Lord, for those of us who love music, who care about music, that 
tends to be all we think about. Well, I, I sing those songs that I find in my hymnal or that the Gettys wrote and released. I, I've sang about rejoicing, so I'm doing that. I'm living joyfully in the Lord because I'm involved in music. But it's so much more than that. Rejoicing the Lord is living in this attitude of gratitude towards God, knowing that all that he provides, <coughs> all that he gives is from him. And when we realize that, that makes it easy for us to praise him, to worship him. The family that you have, the job that you have, the home that you have, even the difficulties that you have, he provides to help us grow, to see us change, to see us become more like him. He provided Jesus Christ, and for that we can Rejoice. So we should live joyfully as Christians. We should not come into worship time together with faces turned down. We shouldn't come in looking like a gloomy Gus. We should rejoice. God has called us together to worship and to celebrate Him. And that should permeate our lives when we live in that space, when we live in that, that area of joyfulness, of gratitude. We are going to know Jesus better. It takes that joy that he provides to get to know him better. And so follow Paul's command. He says it throughout this little book. Rejoice. Later on in Roman, or Philippians 4, 4, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. So if we want to know Jesus better, we begin with the surrender of our heart and lives to him, but then we continue by rejoicing in the Lord. <clears throat> Secondly, we want to see that we are, there's a need for us to combat distractions that come into our life. Now, the important thing for us to realize is what was going on here. There was a group of people called the Judaizers. The Judaizers were Jesus followers, but they were the Jesus and people. They were like, well, we follow Jesus, but we also have to follow all of these Jewish rules and regulations. We have to do that if we want to be right before God, and you can't follow Jesus. You can't fully be a Christian unless you have both of these things together. Now, we know, and Paul shares in here, that we only have a relationship with Christ through, through Jesus. It is our, he is our hope. He is our salvation. There is nothing that we can do ourselves to earn our relationship with Christ. When we come into this place to worship together, that doesn't secure a place in heaven. When we go to study time, whether it's here at the church or you're studying with others, you're reading or you're worshiping, you go into conferences, whatever you're doing, that is not going to assure your place in heaven. It comes from a relationship in Jesus Christ. And that alone, Ephesians 2, 8, 9, points us in that same direction. And so what was happening is these Judaizers were becoming a part of this congregation, and they were tearing things up because they felt like you have to do these things to be a Christ follower. But that's not the case. In fact, Paul, <laughs> Paul has some harsh words for them, and so we're going to step through those and then talk about a little bit about our distractions that get in the way. And so Paul was literally telling the, the, the Philippians to combat these distractions, to fight against these false teachings, these things that were pulling away from the true gospel. First, he referred to looking out for the dogs. 
Now, the Jewish people really didn't have dogs the same way that we do. I think about my two crazy dogs. I have Claire. She's the perfect dog. And then I have Claude, who is another one. Uh, He is a lot of fun. He's a lot of energy. But those dogs are a part of our family. They kind of live in our house. You know, they sleep. They sit where we do. We love them. They don't shed, so we really love them. You may have a dog or two that's a part of your family, and they may have different rules at your house, but that's okay. Um, But Jewish people didn't have dogs the same way that we did. They were often seen as scavengers that fed on roadkill, carrying filth and garbage. They were vivid images of the unclean. And so when they were often referring to dogs, they were referring to the Gentiles or to lapsed Jews. But here, Paul flips the script on that. And he points at at the Judaizers that said you can only be right with God if you had Jesus and followed the Jewish law. The reference said that the people were unclean dogs living outside of covenant blessings, really understanding and knowing what God is all about. And so we have to look out for those people that think that it is Jesus plus something else to be made right with God. We know that it is not. Second, he says to look out for the evildoers. Now here he's talking again about the Judaizers. The Judaizers focus on the law that made the workers, that made the law basically workers of evil. And Jesus provides grace that frees us from the law. And for us to focus on that thing that he is, that he's completed, that he's pulled apart and done with, is wrong. And in Paul's mind, they were evildoers because of this. They were pointing God's people in the wrong direction. And then finally, he talks about the mutilators. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. Now, it's important for us to just understand this basic thing, that the Jewish people had, were circumcised usually on the eighth day after they were born. And what would happen is that marked them as a a follower. They were a part of God's family. They were set aside. They were a part of the chosen people. And people that would follow Christ, or not Christ, but follow the Jewish laws and would do that later in life would still go through that same sort of circumcision. Now, this marked them as a part of God's people, and they, the, unfortunately, the Judaizers were proud of that fact. That was a mark, a badge of honor for them. And here Paul refers to it as a mutilation. He says that real circumcision is a circumcision of the heart. God marks us as we become his children when we heed the call of God on our lives. So it's important for us to understand this simple thing that God wants us to combat the distractions. So it is well to put it simply When someone comes and wants to be a part of our congregation, Pastor Kirk and I are often looking at what do those people believe? We stand as protectors. As under-shepherds, one of our jobs is to uphold the Word of God here and to guard, guard truth. Now, there are distractions. Maybe it's falsehood that affects our lives. The falsehood that distracts us from the truth is a bit more subtle today. It's 
crept into the culture and it influences our thinking. We see it, we see it in public education. We see it in uh, university levels. We see it on TV. We see it everywhere. It's, 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 it has made a huge impact. I think about social media. Now, I'm, I'm a fan of social media. I use it. We, we post pictures on our Instagram account here of the church. We share things, and we utilize that to reach out and to share with people. <coughs> it can be a good thing. However, social media provides any number of thoughts on faith. It seems that only the loudest voice wins. So anyone with a phone or a computer can speak falsehood, and someone out there will latch onto it. So we need to be aware of that. If you're, I mean, they can say anything, anything they want. <coughs> Social media apps have very few guidelines in that process. But again, this isn't a slam on social media. It's just a realization that these type of things have crept into our thought process as we've looked at the truth of Scripture. Movies, TV, and books have been shaping the culture's thoughts on religion and faith for years. We need to combat the distractions to truth by knowing the truth better. As we learn God's Word, as we see it, as we listen to it, we can know that that is falsehood. And we can stand against that. So we need to stand for the truth, but we need to combat distractions. There are plenty of other distractions to our faith. If we want to know Jesus in our life and to know him more fully, we need to set some of those things aside. If I told you to, and you were willing, you could probably write a little list of distractions on your worship guide, things that are impacting you, that are pulling you from your relationship with Jesus. Many of those things are good things. Most of us have to get up, go to a job, work for eight to 10 hours. Then we come home, we've got to mow a lawn or make sure we've got these other things done. So jobs, and we want to glorify God through our work, but guess what? It can distract us from our focus on Jesus. All the other things, and there are a lot of fun things and entertainment that we have in our lives that can distract us. And I am, I'm not speaking just to you, I'm speaking to myself also in this process. The distractions are there, so Paul wants us to combat the distractions of this world. Now, the final thing is, is really kind of where we began. For those of us who have never accepted Christ in this place, in this building, again, it begins by knowing him more fully. To know him, we must start with a surrender. Surrender ourselves to what Jesus wants us to do, and that's to accept him as Savior. But then it continues. <coughs> it's not just a one-and-done thing. God calls us to surrender it all to him. Let's look back at uh, Philippians chapter 3, verses 4 through 11. So what we find here is this list. This list of things that Paul has said, you know what? You Judaizers may have this great idea of what it means to be a, a proud Jew, but guess what? I've got that, and I've got more. 
So let's look at this passage again. Although I myself have reason for the confidence that's in the flesh also, if anyone thinks he has reason for this confidence, I have more. Now that may sound like a, a harsh statement or even a proud statement, but he's making a point. To those that believe that you have to be Jewish in culture to be a Christ follower, He's saying, guess what? I've got all of this. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as the law of Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. But whatever I gain, I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. He had, he had everything. He was at the top of his society, of the Jewish society. Paul really gets to the thoughts of our gains or nothing and our need to surrender it all right here. Kent Hughes shares some thoughts, and I want to share some of those, just as we step through these things that Paul was. First, Paul was circumcised in the eighth day. He was circumcised by his parents uh, seven days after his birth in strict compliance with Abrahamic covenant. Most significantly, this meant that he was not a proselyte from paganism. He was no later-in-life convert. He was an eight-dayer, an insider from birth. I know that many of you I don't know about many of you, but I know some of you have said, well, I was at church even before I was born, you know, or some of you have shared stories and I've heard stories from others. Well, Mark Clifton shares one about his wife giving birth and then he says, well, I was picking her up and we were going to go to church in the next two hours, you know, it was like, that was, but that's the mindset and those are the people, and if we're not careful, <coughs> those type of things can come out as pride. But that's what Paul was. He was, ah, thank you, sir. Paul was one of those guys. He was there from the very beginning. Second, Paul was a people of Israel, or more exactly, of the race of Israel. And that meant that in addition to not being a proselyte, he couldn't possibly be a child of proselytes. Racially, he was a pure-blooded Israelite. Others might call them Jews, but only they called themselves the children of Israel. And Paul was a total insider. He goes on listing his achievements and who he was by saying he was of the tribe of Benjamin. Benjamin was the only son born in the promised land. And the tribe of Benjamin was the only tribe to remain faithful to Judah and the house of David after the death of Solomon. So this was a great honor to be a part of the tribe of Benjamin. Fourth, the apostle Paul was a Hebrew of Hebrews. And though Paul had been born outside the land in Tarsus, he was a Hebrew, and his parents were Hebrews before him. Hebrew of Hebrew also indicates that he spoke Hebrew and Aramaic. And so he was intelligent. He was of the right people, of the right place. He had the right ancestry. Now he goes on and talks about more of his personal achievements. His fifth thing is that we read as the law of Pharisee. And Phariseeism was a lay movement that had its beginnings when the Jews returned from exile. 
And basically, this was mean that he was a separated one. There was something different about him. He learned, he grew in that. It, Paul was brilliant. Six, we read, as the zeal of persecutor of the church. Paul orchestrated a terror campaign against the church and had achieved a growing infamy as Pharisaic terrorist. We're familiar with the stoning of Stephen from Acts 6. Well, we find Saul, or, which he later becomes Paul, there holding the coats of these men as he is stoned. And the seventh and lastly, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. Notice that Paul did not say he was sinless or perfect, but blameless. The Pharisees assumed that a faithful Israelite, that of a faithful Israelite. So it is important for us to see all of these accomplishments, all of these achievements, <coughs> all of these things that Paul could brag and say, yes, you need to honor me, you need to look at me, I, this is definitely the way that you need to believe because guess what? This is who I am. But he didn't. He said in lighting of knowing Jesus, he counted all those things as loss. And I often think of ourselves, what are the things that we're working towards? What are the achievements in our lives? I remember back in high school, I was very achievement driven. I loved getting awards and honors and that sort of thing. That was kind of a part of my DNA and I wanted these things. So I ended up as the drum major in band. I was the um, editor of the high school uh, yearbook. I was in the select choral group. I mean, that was, and I found great identity in those things as I achieved more and more, uh, more and more things. Sometimes they would have awards, sometimes they would not. Making All-State Choir, you know, John Philip Sousa Award, a band, all, all these things that now mean, well, they really mean nothing, don't they? But we are still working towards those same sort of things in our lives. Things that are achievements that we may have been working hard for is, do we have the perfect house? Do we have the best job? Do we have the most idyllic family? Those are all good things, but knowing Jesus is the best thing. You may have had a lot to brag on in this life, and Paul certainly did. He was a spiritual all-star by Jewish standards, but counted it all as loss in knowing Jesus Christ. He was willing and ready to set all of those things aside so that he could know Jesus in a deeper, more meaningful way. That's what he's calling us to do. God calls us to set aside our achievements and to simply give him our hearts. Now, I think about what many of us do in this life. We start climbing a ladder, and sometimes it's a ladder of success, but what we realize, and you may have heard this before, but what we realize when we get to the top is that is leaning on the wrong wall. We were looking at the wrong things from the very start, and we just started climbing that direction, not doing the things that God wants us to do, but what the world wants us to do. Those things that we think are important. And there are important things in this life God wants us to give honor to him through our work, through our school, through our activities. He wants that. But what we must understand that it's all counted as loss in light of knowing Jesus Christ. So, if God calls you to set aside your achievements and to follow him in a deeper way, are you ready and willing to do that? Now, I think about my college years. My college years was this journey of trying to figure out what God wanted me to do with my life. 
during high school, during college, it's very easy to pivot from one direction to another. In high school, I very much wanted to be a photographer. I had dreams of shooting for National Geographic or uh, other places and other magazines and traveling around the world and having my images seen by, by millions. That was on my, my radar. That's what I wanted to do. But God started working in my heart, shifting that around. By the time uh, March of 91, God had said, okay, I want you to, to preach and to share my word and to be in full-time vocational ministry. And I thought, God, is that it? Really? I mean, okay. And I was willing. As a college student, that's easy to do. As a high school student, that's easy to do. But when you're 15 years into your career, when you are uh, 20 years into a job, when you've got little kids or teenagers, that much becomes much, much harder. So what we need to understand is that God calls us in those moments to take all those achievements and to set them aside if that's what he's calling you to do. You may think, well, he's not calling me to do that. Have you, have you asked God lately? God still is calling men and women to serve him in deeper ways. <clears throat> God calls us to set aside our achievements and to simply give him our hearts. There's a, a song uh, by Christina Ro, uh, Georgina Ro, Rossetti. Um, you've sung it at Christmas time. What can I give him poor as I am? If I were a shepherd, I would bring a lamb. If I were a wise man, I would do my part. Yet what can I give him? Give him my heart. That's what God is calling us to do. To surrender to salvation all the way through surrendering our life. Whatever that surrender means. It may mean a lifetime of vocational ministry. It may mean that you are just in need of setting aside a club or a group or an activity that you're involved in because that's not where you need to be anymore. I don't know what God is calling you to do, but I do know that he's calling us to follow him and to know him in a deeper way. Giving him a heart. That's what really Jesus really wants today. He wants your heart. He wants you to surrender him. That is how we know him better. So what is this life really all about? It's not about climbing the ladder of success, although God is honored in our work. It's not about developing the greatest social media following, although God could be honored in that. It's not about having the best family, although God is a part of our family. Life, life is not about us. It's about knowing him. Paul tells us to rejoice in the Lord, combat the distractions, and surrender it all to him. And in doing these things, we will know him better, and we will honor him. Another song by Graham uh, Kendrick. It's just the chorus that I have down here. It says, knowing you, Jesus, knowing you. There is no greater thing. You're my all. You're the best. You're my joy, my righteousness, and I love you, Lord. God is 
calling us to know him better and to know him in a deeper way. Paul was writing to these Philippians saying, here you go. Here's some things that are going to help you as you seek to follow Jesus Christ. You need to rejoice. You need to fight against falsehood and eliminate the distracting voices that are infiltrating your life. And then ultimately, no matter what your successes are, you need to give that all over and know him better. Let's pray. God, we love you. We thank you for this day. We thank you for the opportunity to look into your word. I just ask that you help us. Help us to know you better. To understand what we need to do. And then simply do it. And so God, in these days ahead, in this week ahead, move us to those decisions. Forgive us where we fail you. In Christ and we pray. Amen. Our heart's desire is that you grow and understand the direction God has for you in your life. We hope that by listening today, you are one step closer to discovering that for yourself. If you live in Northwest Arkansas and are looking for a church to call your own, we invite you to reach out to us at Calvary as we study and serve together. We meet for worship at 1030 on Sunday mornings at 1410 North Porter Road in Fayetteville, Arkansas. If you wish to find out more information about Calvary Church or simply contact us, you can do that through our Facebook page or at calvaryfayetteville.com. Until next time, remember that God, His Word, and His people can provide direction for life.